Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. And today on Bankless, we're exploring some new frontiers about the future. I think quite frequently in the crypto, Web3, and Bankless content sphere, when we talk about the future that crypto brings, we use frames of references from the past, TradFi, to talk about the future of finance, DeFi. We want to fix Web2 with Web3. But today on Bankless, I want to bring this conversation that we had at Permissionless with Vitalik, the opening day, the final day, day three of Permissionless that we had with Vitalik that we called Ethereum for the future. I think it's very easy to imagine use cases like DeFi, like Web3, like NFTs, when we have previous correlates to understand as a frame of reference to think about what a new form factor for these things could be. But what about the things that Ethereum can produce, that Web3 can produce, that don't have a historical form factor? What about the new use cases, the net new things that can emerge because we have the new properties of what crypto can bring to the table? This is the theme of this episode and the conversation that I had with Vitalik Buterin. The sibling technologies, AI, decentralized science, synthetic biology, lots of the things that happened and went down at Zuzalu, but really just as a meta theme of understanding the new things that will come out of crypto, the things that we can't articulate. I asked questions to Vitalik like if he could duplicate himself and start a startup, which industry would he start it in and how would it relate to crypto? What does he want the Web3 builders of the world to focus on that they might be under-indexing on because imagining an unspoken future is hard? How will Ethereum be a platform for all of these new future use cases that we can't yet imagine? And knowing that Vitalik has gone down these rabbit holes of different industries, different technologies, how has that exploration changed? what he thinks Ethereum can do for the world. Like I said, this talk opened up the third day at Permissionless, where a lot of people's minds and imaginations were already opened up to some of the future things coming into the crypto world. We have the Solana virtual machine, we have 4844 and scale and dank sharding, and we have account abstraction and EIP 4337. A lot of things that can really make the future of Ethereum tangible from a technical perspective. And I really wanted to bring this conversation to the forward with, now that we have this technology, what can we do with it? And can we imagine some net new things rather than just reimagining the old things? Reimagining old things, definitely why we're here, but there's also going to be some nice surprises that we won't be able to articulate. And hopefully, Bankless listener, this conversation with Vitalik from Permissionless can open your mind's eye as well. So let's go ahead and get right into this conversation with Vitalik Buterin. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Extra thanks to Kraken, our preferred exchange for crypto in 2023. Whether you are dollar cost averaging into crypto to prepare for the bull market or you're taking profits out of crypto, be sure to do it with Kraken. The newly designed Kraken Pro makes it super easy to do both your basic financial transactions while also taking your trading to the next level. Kraken Pro is truly the trading UX that you've always wanted. So if your bull market archetype is the trader class, you need Kraken Pro in your toolkit. But if your character class is more of a DeFi journeyman or woman, then MetaMask Portfolio is the tool for you. MetaMask Portfolio is your DeFi multi-chain battle station. Any asset on any Ethereum layer 2, MetaMask Portfolio will present it to you. So don't get caught forgetting assets or missing opportunities. Make sure you're prepared for the bull run by prepping your MetaMask portfolio. Moving on from tools you need to playing fields to play on, the Arbitrum Layer 2 is one of the main arenas in which this bull market will be fought on. Whether your character class is a DeFi degen, airdrop hunter, or yield seeker, the Arbitrum Coliseum is where a ton of the action is going to be. So whether you're on Arbitrum 1 for DeFi and NFTs or Arbitrum Nova for Web3 Gaming or a new frontier on Arbitrum using an Arbitrum Orbit chain, there are so many opportunities to sink your teeth into. But as we know, the Ethereum roll-ups 
Mantle-centric roadmap produces all kinds of Layer 2s, and Mantle is one of the newest Layer 2s on the scene, with some of the newest technology that Ethereum Layer 2s has to offer in the year 2023. Mantle is built using the OP stack, but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum Layer 1, reducing gas fees by 80% compared to other Layer 2s. With billions of dollars standing by from BitDAO to invest in Mantle, make sure you stay ahead of the game by building and growing your on-chain footprint on Mantle. Let's not forget about the ETH staking character class, and Stator makes it easy. Running a staking pool with Stator just requires four Ether for a deposit, letting you charge a fee to the remaining 28 Ether that uses your node to stake their ETH, increasing your yield by 35%. Stator's staked Ether token, ETHX, allows you to stake your Ether and use it in DeFi at the same time. For all you DeFi swappers out there, this one is for you. Uniswap X has opened up a brand new landscape to play in, and it's the world of intents. This is where those who employ the swapping ability get to team up with the evil MEV bot army, and they get to band together to discover the most efficient liquidity route through the Ethereum landscape. Gas-free swaps, MEV protection, and theoretically optimal pricing. When swappers and MEVers come together, new metas happen, and it's thanks to Uniswap X. So the next time you trade on Uniswap, consider clicking the Uniswap X button to get your MEV protection. Celo is the mobile-first, EVM-compatible, carbon-negative blockchain built for the real world. And now, something big is happening. Introducing the Celo Layer 2. It's a game-changing proposal that's going to bring Celo's rapidly growing ecosystem home to Ethereum. Vitalik has shared his excitement for the Celo Layer 2 on the Celo forum, so has Ben Jones from Optimism. But why? The Celo Layer 2 will bring huge advantages like a decentralized sequencer, off-chain data availability, and one block finality. What does all that mean? Rock-solid security, a trustless bridge to Ethereum, and more real-world use cases for Ethereum without compromise. And real-world adoption is happening. Active addresses on Celo have grown over 500% in the last six months. With the Celo Layer 2, gas fees will stay low and you can even pay for gas using ERC20 tokens. But Celo is a community-governed protocol. This means that Celo needs you to weigh in and make your voice heard. Join the conversation in the Celo forum. Follow at Celo.org on Twitter and visit Celo.org to shape the future of Ethereum. So thank you to all the sponsors that support Bankless and all the podcast editors, newsletter writers, and operations managers who make the Bankless organization the best that we can be. We truly appreciate your support. And for all the listeners out there who listen to the mountains of content that we churn out each week, especially this one right here. So let's go on. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce you to Vitalik Buterin, co-creator of Ethereum, record holder for the largest ignored EIPs to date, and also a travel blogger. Vitalik, welcome to Permissionless. Thank you so much, David. Uh, good to virtually be here. Cheers, cheers. So I want to open up this conversation, this this day of permissionless, with uh, a new perspective that I think it's it's hard to to get a grasp on. When someone goes down the crypto rabbit hole, when the, when they come become educated about the power that crypto has to the bring to the world, is usually through a lens of discovering newer and better ways of doing things that we already do. DeFi replaces TradFi stable coins over bank transfers, ENS names over Twitter handles. But I want to open up uh, a new conversation uh, because, they, I mean, all of these things are very exciting and they're very, very powerful. But I want to open up people's imaginations to the potentially new things that Ethereum can unlock for us that we can't readily imagine because we don't really have pre-existing models for them. How, how do you think about the balance of these two things between pre improving pre-existing things versus crypto enabling net new things that are harder to imagine. As an industry, would you say that we are under-indexing on new things? I'd say so. I Well, let's see if I can uh, try to think about the question more deeply because there definitely are like lots of very new things that the crypto space is doing, but sometimes I also feel like even those new things are in some ways not imaginative enough, right? 
like well let's see what kinds of things have uh has this space done over the last few years i mean it's uh it's it's done DeFi, and yeah. DeFi is cool and i've you know traded my fair share of various tokens on dexas uh but it's uh it's still just like one tool in a you know in a workflow that still kind of looks pretty similar to what it would look like otherwise um there's in you know, nfts and nfts are i guess they're new they're they're new um and they yeah you know like are an extension of something that has a history which includes you know like art collectible it includes video game items and it, inc and it includes all kinds of things though of course you know, like every new version of that kind of concept brings some brings something totally new to the table. Um, there's, uh, I mean, just uh, you know, like using crypto for payments in general, which is good, but it's uh, payments. So I guess uh, so far, like it feels like well, the thing that all of those examples have in common is that they're like individual pieces and individual pieces that are designed to like fit into an ecosystem that's uh, otherwise the same as before. And the thing that we haven't been as successful doing yet is like creating a new ecosystem that actually has like different pieces of it that make sense in the context of all fitting into each other, right? Like basically, yeah, something that's uh, more holistic. And I think uh, this is one of the reasons why I've been excited about decentralized social, for example, right? Like. The, I mean, right now, uh, it's interesting in that I think it's uh, made more progress than I yeah, expected. Uh, I mean, already, like, I think I've been, uh, you know, like, seriously afraid that uh, we would just have, like, you know, like, 892, um, you know, like, cypherpunk, uh, you know, like, crypto anarchist geeks, and then it would just kind of stop there. Uh, but, uh, like, if you look at Farcaster, for example, like, it's actually pretty successful, right? And I mean, I know there's, I mean, like Lens, uh, which is you know, continuing to do well. There is a bunch of others. And I mean, obviously, yeah, I mean, like, there's the whole situation that happened at, at, at Twitter itself that kind of created room for all of these uh, alt Twitters to grow. Um, but the thing that I noticed about these is that they have a unique selling point, which is that they are an alt Twitter that totally does not have an, a reactionary identity, right? So it's uh, it totally does not have an identity that's about, um, you know, like Musk bad and we have to rebel against Twitter, right? Now, you know, like obviously at the same time, there's non-zero of that by definition, because if there was exactly zero of that, you'd still be on Twitter. Uh, but it's uh, like, it's less about the bad and more about like, hey, um, you know, we have crypto tools, and, um, you know, like the centralized platforms are not doing these things. So let's like actually take crypto tools and let's see how far we can push things in that direction. Right. So it's been successful in that way so far. And like Farcaster, for example, seems to like actually have a pretty cohesive community that's like lasted for a pretty long time. You know, it's not just like a couple of geeks get in there for a couple of weeks um, and then uh, get uh, get back. Uh, but uh, what I see, where I see the longer term future here is uh, that like it really can plug into all of the other stuff that uh, you know, like we've been doing as a space, right? So like, for example, at scale, a social network needs to have some form of anti-civil, right? You need to make sure that the, uh, you know, the 894 likes are 894 people and not 894 accounts that are all controlled by the Kremlin. Uh, so the problem, uh, 
there is like all the existing way of doing all of that stuff is like very centralized and very anti-privacy preserving, very hostile to um, you know, like suits and anons. And um, you know, it uh, is dependent on infrastructure that is, uh, despite the whole meme about how centralized stuff is more secure for normal people, is often actually less secure than advertised, and as I discovered yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, like actually yeah, having more like decentralized uh, options for anti-civil, um, also more decentralized options for account recovery, um, more decentralized options for incredibly identifying whether or not a person is actually part of some community. Like these are all things that the crypto space itself can do, right? Like we have ETH addresses and uh, ENS just as like a very simple basic way of proving that, you know, like you uh, spent at least like $10 to be yeah, willing to post this. Um, then we have, uh, obviously, yeah, you know, like proof of humanity and circles and like all the various proof of personhood things. Uh, we have popes. Um, then, um, you know, like where this year at, at um, you know, Zulu, we also uh, got, worked on uh, zoo stamps and zoo stamps are basically like popes, but there's zero knowledge for social recovery wallets. Like in Farcaster, you can set up an Ethereum account as your recovery method. And then, um, you know, that Ethereum account could be a smart contract wallet. And, uh, you know, like you you can totally buy yourself if you want to, like set your recovery account uh, to be agnosis safe, right? Um, and, uh, you know, like actually, yeah, you know, like do the social recovery thing yourself. So there's just like all of these tools that are really yeah, starting to plug into each other in, or really have the potential to plug into each other in a serious way that like actually yeah, builds on top of each other. And like the big dream here, I think, is to like really create an independent open tech stack, right? Um, so, you know, think of how like there's the conventional tech stack where, um, you know, you know, you got your phone numbers and you got your Google and, um, you know, you got your Twitter and, uh, you know, like all of uh, all of those things, and then I mean, as an analogy, like you know, let's say, yeah, you know, like China has uh, an independent tech stack, right? Um, you know, you got your, uh, you know, your WeChat, you got your Alipay, um, you know, you've got your uh, increasingly the CBDCs, um, and it's kind of you know like very sort of independent of that first one. And then what I where I think crypto could do is like do an independent stack, but going, you know, in the opposite direction, right? More decentralization, right? Base, you know, you have your Ethereum account, uh, you know, you have various proof of humanity protocols, various, uh, you know, various popes and, uh, you know, like Gitcoin passport and other kinds of uh, anti-civil protocols. And, um, you know, you have your reputation, you have your, um, you know, like different kinds of recovery methods and like everything actually works together with each other right and like i think it's uh it's also important to have the part of the crypto space that uh, just says hey yeah you know you can keep everything else you just keep one thing but i think uh, the holy grail would be to try to create an on-ramp right it's like if a new person joins crypto for the first time then like fine um you know they can create an an ethereum address which is basically controlled by a gmail account or whatever right but then they always have the option to Take that smart wallet and like, especially if it's a yeah, 4337 smart contract wallet, right? You'd be able to upgrade it, change the logic without changing the address. And instead of being, um, you know, like backed by yeah, a Gmail account, it becomes maybe backed by its own key or maybe becomes backed by multisig. 
And then eventually you sign on to Skiff, and then you've done the reversal where instead of your Ethereum address being backed by your Gmail, your email becomes backed by your Ethereum address, right? And uh, like basically, <laughs> yeah, you know, give people the opportunity to kind of, you know, like slide down the uh, decentralization ladder and at the end of it, like really yeah, properly be in this, uh, you know, like totally independent stack that actually, yeah, you know, works together with, uh, between all the different pieces inside it. So I think like actually realizing that vision would be super cool. And I feel like we really yeah, have tools to actually do that in a way that totally did not exist even uh, one year ago. So yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I'm excited about. Yeah, I think to summarize what you were saying, we have a lot of tools in the year 2023 in Ethereum. Uh, the tools that you, you talked about, like that helps support Farcaster or the tools that help support uh, the experiment as Zuzala with Zoopass. And so I, I think what you're saying is like a lot of this stuff is kind of ready, ready to go. It's just a matter. It's just a matter of fitting these pieces together and also fitting these pieces together inside of newer contexts. And one context that I see gaining, gaining a lot of vitality these days is the decentralized science movement. And this was a, um, a subject that had, uh, you know, an, an entire week of focus at, at Zuzalu during those, those two months at Montenegro, where there was just a bunch of learnings and lessons from crypto adjacent technologies, um, like decentralized science, like I said, but AI, uh, synthetic biology, longevity were all there. And my, my biggest takeaway from, from that time was that all of these things, like, like I said, are crypto adjacent. And so post Suzalu, post just being able to gather all of this different knowledge from different industries and different leaders coming to you know, espouse what they're doing in the world of synthetic biology, has your perspective on Ethereum and what it can do for the world and the future industries like I just listed, has your perspective on what Ethereum's role is changed at all? Um, I think it's definitely, yeah, started, evolved quite a bit. Like I think... Uh, I mean, the biggest uh, change that's happened for me over the last 10 years is just, um, you know, a slow grind from going from very abstract to being very concrete, right? Like, uh, if you think about the original vision of DAOs back in 2013, it was like very hazy, right? It's, um, you know, hey, you know, you know, we can have these automated corporations and, uh, you know, the automated uh, corporations, uh, like, okay what kind of logic they actually have inside of them was just like totally unclear. Lots of, lots of things were unclear. Um, and today, like on, I mean, like every single level of, I mean, like both the crypto space itself and the uh, space of uh, things that are adjacent to crypto, like it's uh, starting to become more specific. Um, so I generally view the role of the space as having a few different uh, prongs. Right. So one of them is just as an uh, alt system for people who, for whom, you know, the traditional system is either unavailable or uh, too oppressive or, um, you know, like has other disadvantages. Right. So if you think about people just like wanting to hold and spend money in countries that have totally yeah, you know, like broken currency situations, if, uh, you know, you think about people in, um, you know, like various kinds of oppressive regimes, just, um, you know, like wanting to be able to hold and, uh, and, and save up money and, uh, you know, like do that in a way where it can't, uh, you know, just like arbitrarily be seized from them once, uh, you know, like some, you know, like random, um, you know, like surveillance system decides that you're suspicious enough, right? Um, it's, uh, and I think like in a lot, or even just, um, you know, like people in, um, 
you know, specific industries that are not kind of served well. And like in this case, I'm I'm not even talking about like anything regulatory. I'm talking about like things that intermediaries like PayPal don't like, right? Like there's a, a pretty big um, you know, set of categories of those. Um, there's uh, lots of people, mostly, um, you know, like in uh, emerging economies, but even, um, you know, like some in places like the United States that are, you know, like unbanked or functionally unbanked in various ways and like not in the, yeah, you know, like cool hipster unbankless by, by choice way, but even in the like, I, yeah, I have a hard time getting a bank account if I want to, way, right? Uh, so there, so that's the first prong, right? Like an alternative for, um, you know, like people who really need it. The yeah, second prong, I think, is as a kind of a laboratory for testing out new kinds of mechanisms and ideas where they can first be yeah, you know, like really yeah, tested and deployed within a dedicated community that uh, is just excited about these uh, kinds of ideas, but then uh, kind of trickle up into the wider world in uh, various ways, right? And I think uh, in that case, uh, things like uh, you know, some of the DAO experimentation that we've been doing would be, you know, one good example. Um, things that are being done inside of things like Farcaster, um, things that uh, in the ZK space, right? So uh, ZooPass would be one good example, uh, right? Like these are all areas of technology where we can experiment in them within our own, uh, in a, you know, decentralization enthusiast community. But then there is like ideas that just inevitably are going to kind of trickle up into the wider world in, um, you know, like all kinds of sometimes direct and, um, you know, like sometimes subtle ways and like basically set in example or a standard that a, yeah, you know, like more, more open, uh, more credibly neutral, um, you know, like more, um, you know, like decentralized and, you know, like more, uh, like, you know, like local sovereignty favoring world actually is possible. And, uh, you know, like, basically create a prototype that actually yeah, shows how that sort of thing can be done. Um, and then in terms of uh, interaction with some of these adjacent spaces, I think it's uh, to some extent, it's it's uh, some of both of those uh, of those two things, right? Like public goods funding is definitely an example of uh, it's like a very specific use case of uh, the thing that you would call DAO governance, right? In some ways, it's the same problem because it's basically the problem of making a uh, you know, decentralized decision making mechanism, but public goods funding does have like a few specific traits that uh, make it worth, um, you know, like thinking about as being its own, its own sector in some ways, right? Like uh, one, one example of this is that I think uh, a kind of a radical decentralization of decision making makes more sense in public goods funding than it does in many other kinds of uh, in DAO governance, right? Because, uh, it's the convex versus concave thing, essentially. Um, you know, if you have a uh, DAO um, deciding to, um, you know, whether or not to make its uh, website like circular or make it square, and then you 50-50 compromise it and you get like a square with rounded corners, like that's not necessarily better, right? Like it's, uh, you know, it depend like those kinds of compromises often just end up being worse, right? And there's, uh, you know, there is a case uh, to be made that like there's particular types of decisions where what you really wants to do is it really wants to like pick a uh, decision that can be uh, made and executed on by like very deep thought by uh, you know, like one person or a few people. And like 
sticking to one of those visions is better than trying to like awkwardly 50 50 between everyone's right but in public goods funding i think that's that happens less often right like uh giving 10 million dollars each to 10 different projects is like pretty you know, most of the time better than giving a hundred million dollars to one project right i mean there might be exceptions like um you know if you want to go to mars and then uh, giving a billion dollars to one guy is better than, uh, you know, giving like a thousand dollars each to a million guys, right? Because if you if you do the second one, then like literally none of them have any chance at all of making it. But like on average, I'd say, yeah, uh, it's a problem that's more amenable to that way of doing things, right? And um, you know, like in the DSI space, I think uh, the framing it as a problem of uh, just creating more diverse kinds of funding mechanisms to decrease the chance that something important gets completely passed by is like probably the correct frame in a lot of ways, right? Because like what we see is, um, you know, we have government as a funder, but the government often, um, you know, despite all of the econ textbooks uh, talking about it as being, um, you know, like a necessary yeah, funder because, um, you know, like free markets won't do it alone. It's like, often a yeah, pretty negligent funder in its own right, right? Like, uh, yeah, you know, like in the case of like even COVID uh, research, for example, like the amount of money that has actually gone into it from governments is like surprisingly tiny given the importance of the problem, right? And there was like a big push in 2020 with Operation Warp Speed. And, uh, you know, sometimes a crisis can galvanize people into action. And that was uh, heroic and that was good. But then basically as soon as, um, you know, the first batch of vaccines and other things uh, actually came out. It just kind of, um, you know, petered off and like, uh, based, basically, yeah, like it feels like a, yeah, a fatigue that a lot of people have where they're tired of being like forced to do various things to deal with COVID has, which, which is very understandable, has like also turned into this much more nonsensical fatigue against even, um, you know, like various quiet, um, institutions like sp con continuing to spend even i mean like smaller medium amounts of resources dealing with the COVID problems that are still around and that are still important so it's and like basically yeah i mean like there's a big funding gap like even there right and then on the yeah i mean like longevity and anti-aging side i yeah, categorize that as uh, what i call an entrepreneurial fund uh public good right um so well, the thing that markets are good at is they're good at entrepreneurial goods, like goods where you uh, need a, someone with a vision to like build a thing. And uh, most people would, are not even going to realize how valuable it is until after it's already made, right? The yeah, stereotypical kind of, you know, if you ask the democratic focus group what they wanted out of a phone in 2006, and none of them would have given, uh, given you an iPhone um, thing. And then... Um, but, you know, like governments are better at funding public goods. But like if you have an entrepreneurial public good, like a public good where people don't realize the value of it after until after it already exists and sort of both markets and the governments kind of often end up passing it by. Right. And so there's the question of like whether or not something pioneered by the crypto space can kind of help. And I mean, the thing that we saw we've seen so far, right, is uh, I think the biggest plugger of that gap has uh, like basically been billionaires right um you know so you, you know the uh the sergey brands the yeah um, you know like sometimes elon musk's if you throw in the space pro uh, program um the yeah brian johnson's um of, of the world and a lot of 
like a lot of that stuff ends up being uh, quite valuable, but then like we also see that like even that ends up missing some things, right? Like it, it, so the thing that Brian Johnson is famous for, for example, right, is uh, he's got this uh, you know like blueprints program where he basically spends literally millions of dollars a year and like literally his uh, entire life uh, trying to keep himself healthy and optimizing his body as much as possible. And it's like great as a frontier science experiment, but then like it leaves this like very obvious hole open of like, well, um, you know, like how do you, what's the version of this that actually works for the little guy, right? Like, are we going to see again, you know, like the rich guys will lift to 150, but then the little guys are still stuck at, uh, um, you know, 77, right? And uh, yeah, this is the place where I probably DSI could really yeah, come in and help, right? Like basically, yeah. You know, like if you have a community of uh, people who are, you know, not hundred millionaires, um, and so they yeah, actually see the need for, uh, you know, having something like blueprints, but that does not require sacrificing your entire livelihood and uh, you know, like insanely unrealistic amounts of money every month uh, to actually uh, to try to do, and then you try to like do community building work to galvanize a community uh, to try to. Uh, Actually, yeah, you know, like build that, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, you can call it a blueprint for the everyman, actually execute on it, do a whole bunch of experiments on it at mass scale, right? So your sample size is not N equals one anymore. It's like actually, yeah, you know, N equals 500, do everything in an open source way and, um, you know, like really yeah, push things forward together as a community. Then like, that's an approach that has a huge amount of value, right? And I think the crypto space has uh, a lot of ethos alignment with uh, that kind of approach, right? And I mean, at Zozolo, for example, we yeah, saw a lot of excitement about that kind of thing. Uh, but what we, yeah, the, the other thing that, um, you know, like I think crypto can provide is like actually trying to, you know, use the different tools that we have to like try to make it work at a technical level, right? So there's uh, obviously just public goods funding and uh, tools that get built for allocating capital. I mean, the capital itself uh, just getting allocated in more decentralized ways, right? So we have quadratic funding, we have retroactive public goods funding, I mean, we have DAOs of different kinds. We should probably have one of all three in each industry. Um, then, uh, you know, all of these different tools for identifying whose contributions um, ended up being really valuable, trying to have like, on-chain, um, you know, like contribution and citation graphs and all of those things. And the more of that stuff we can try to use, I mean, I think the crypto space itself is like the most natural guinea pig number one for a lot of that stuff. But like the DSI space feels like a really natural guinea pig number two, right? So yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of like spiritual alignment where there's an opportunity to turn it into a practical alignment. And I think uh, in that case, uh, yeah, I mean, part of it is basically, yeah, you know, like creating an alternate, creating this alternate system because the pu existing public goods funding infrastructure of society is uh, not serving a lot of these, uh, you know, like really interesting science projects well. But then I think, uh, you know, the longer term goal also is setting an example, right? Like we don't just want, you know, $1 billion of the crypto space's native capital going to those places. We want like trillions of dollars of the world's capital going to things that are really important and uh, you know, like really helping to scale that up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are you know, some of the things that I hope to see. So inside of all of these different like tech landscapes out there, we focus on DSI a lot just now, but also like many of the other ones that were at Zuzalo, perhaps like um, AI, 
and synthetic biology, long, uh, longevity, all super interesting. Uh, say, for example, Vitalik, that there, you had a duplicate of yourself and this duplicate wanted to build a startup, uh, which <laughs> inside of one of these spaces, wh- which one of these spaces like captures your attention the most and where, where would you build a startup in this landscape of crypto adjacent platforms? It's an interesting question. Um, hmm. Like I, th- I wonder if I could, uh, split myself into two copies, like what would the other copy be doing? Um, I mean, one option would be, yeah, like doing Zerzolo full time. That would be like something one of the copies would probably run off to, uh, doing. Another would be. And so just to say that that answers like a network state. I right. work in a network state. Exactly. But I think, so, well, but it's interesting about Zerzolo is that it can be a, it's something that can be kind of made more, it's like a very broad concept, right? And like network state is, um, you know, like this uh, very kind of, you know, like specific meme for a specific uh, set of ideas and they're kind of, they're adjacent, but it's possible to pull it in uh, like a lot of, a lot of different directions. And I think in a lot of ways it actually is adjacent to some of this community driven DSI stuff, right? Because, uh, a lot of what that's about is basically organizing a community to like explore frontier technology yeah, collectively, right? And I think uh, that is part of what people want uh, network states to do. Um, and so, but at the same time, you know, there is the argument that like, well, actually, you know, there's a lot of that that you can do without like literally creating a new country and like, you know, like going, uh, you know, diving your feet all the way into the ocean and like playing full scale geopolitics. Right. Um, so, you know, there's uh, a lot, of, there's like a big part of the spectrum that could, that could be explored there. Um, I could, I could also see a copy of uh, myself one or two years ago, like actually splitting off and trying to do the decentralized social thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm glad that like, you know, like Farcaster and Lens and, uh, some of these others exist to try to try out different versions of that. And they, uh, you know, seem to be going so far in a uh, direction that's like pretty pretty aligned to the yeah to the values i think right like my yeah one of my biggest fears of uh you know like especially things that are vc backed is that they're gonna like basically have you know the adults in the room come and sit down and tell them that like hey actually the crypto stuff just has to be a window dressing and like really you know you have to use email accounts to back everything up and you have to like use phone number verification for everything and you have to like base have a a centralized uh, server run things. And at some point, like, hey, yeah, you, know, you can't actually let the internet see th- uh, see everything because then the AIs will read it. And then, you know, you go for like, more steps down Galaxy Brain Logic and you've basically, yeah, you know, like re-entered the yeah, sort of existing Web2 dystopia. Um, so I'm uh, actually, you know, I'm pleased by the yeah, extents to which Dan uh, Romero and uh, you know, like Varun Srinivasan and co have not become that. Which, uh, which I think is great. Um, and, uh, you know, and then, um, you know, like lens itself has also been, um, you know, like very, yeah, Ethereum accounts driven and kind of pretty, yeah, radical about this from, from day one. Right. But, uh, you know, there is definitely still a lot of, uh, ways to go. And I actually, what's interesting is that I think it's very possible for someone new to just like come in and plop themselves into either of those ecosystems permissionlessly, right? Like, uh, the forecaster team is focusing on warpcast, but like you could totally go and start your own company that makes your own interface that follows totally different principles. Right. Um, uh, so 
that's uh, an opportunity that still exists for a lot of people. Um, there's other like specific problems in the space that would be interesting to tackle. Like uh, me, I mean, I, I still feel like the Oracle problem sometimes doesn't get enough love, right? In the sense that like, you know, we have Oracles, but like, you know, really being rigorous about like make, finding things that are not optimized for speed, but optimized for security, right? Like, uh, you know, your job as a DeFi person is not to give people 5% returns instead of 3% returns. Your job as a DeFi person is to minimize the chance that your users are going to get negative 100% returns. And, uh, you know, fortunately, that's uh, a lesson that's uh, somewhat clearer now than it was uh, 12 months ago. But I think it's uh, a lesson that could be made to be even clearer still. Um, yeah, there's, um, also another one would be trying to, like, really push the ZK side of the stack full time. That's uh, definitely another thing that I'd uh, also to uh, totally love to get into in some way. Um, on the uh, bio side, I think, uh, I mean, actually doing this uh, kind of, um, you know, blueprint for the everyman thing, I think uh, that's someone, something that like someone should absolutely go and do. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's, uh, I think, a lot of uh, really fascinating things that you could totally get into and, and do at this point. Yeah, so what about just for the archetypal Web3 builder out there? Like, uh, what, what would you say the current d innovation sphere in Ethereum and, and broader crypto is under indexing that you'd like them to mm -hmm. reorient their focus towards? That's a good question. Um, six months ago, the answer would have been account abstraction wallets. But now it's like fascinating. Pretty much everyone's got an account abstraction wallet now. Like I've been... Uh, traveling through East Asia for the past month. And there has been at least like four groups that I've talked to, like I think maybe even five groups that are building some kind of account abstraction wallet. It's uh, interesting in how, uh, you know, like basically these new tech spaces, they create this kind of reset, right? Where if you come in as a new person, you're suddenly not like 10 years behind everyone else anymore. And so you actually have a chance. And like, I feel like ZK EVMs and... ERC-4337 have both done a good job of like actually enabling these totally new groups of people to participate, right? Like uh, I remember five years ago, like it definitely felt like, uh, you know, like East Asia had uh, great uh, exchanges and uh, great mining, but, uh, you know, very little contribution to the dev and research side. And I feel like that has uh, really uh, massively flipped, which is... Uh, interesting right because like you know when the average crypto um you know like twitter person says like quote asia is back they're really referring to like hundred millionaires um you know like going and buying your, uh, you know your favorite dog coins or whatever but like i feel like the in the in, it's here it's like um, you know asia is uh, is back but there's like a, you know a uh, degree of like even you know like a deep community and technical involvement that's uh, you know like even greater than uh, anything that I've seen I um, mean you know, like before COVID or before before any of the yeah any of the recent bubbles so there's uh, like I guess what what I'm saying from there is like there's uh, a lot of uh, opportunities to kind of come in and uh, join pretty much always um, and so the question is like what of those really is the thing that you want to do now. Um, and there, I feel like wallets are already yeah, starting to get saturated. The thing that's a little bit less saturated is like security software, right? Basically, yeah, like I've been uh, starting to 
see actually that some of these exist. Like uh, there was this thing that I only just learned about yesterday. It's uh, called, I think it's a joinfire.xyz. It's like this extra extension that you add. And uh, like it basically, yeah, like tells you, you know, like what are the things that you're assigning on MetaMask doing? Um, and uh, like, I mean, I, yeah, like, that particular one I only just like saw yesterday and I saw a few uh, and I saw a few people um you know like endorsing so like don't uh, you know like I'm not claiming to understand that particular one or like how um you know like good or actually useful it is deeply at all right but like and I've been told there's like other things in the similar category but I think like really going deeper into that space and uh, building things that help users understand what the heck it is that they're doing when they're interacting with uh, DeFi is probably one um, another thing is infrastructure for helping to push the Ethereum layer one ecosystem onto layer two. Um, so one example of this is uh, a Merkle proof uh, verifier that like basically lets you do full decentralized verification of ENS names on top of uh um, on layer two, right? Like there are things like optinames.xyz and there's some other ones, but like so far my understanding is that they're still basically just verifying signatures from a centralized provider, right? But if you do Merkle proof verification, then you can get rid of a centralized provider. And like this is all off chain calling, right? So it doesn't actually cost any gas. Um, so that's like, and then that's one example, but I feel like there's a whole bunch of other examples of infrastructure that makes sense to build. If you're if we're trying to like really yeah push this ecosystem up from being completely yeah you know like layer one dependence to like really participating on layer twos, a third one would be an enterprise focused stack that encourages existing enterprises that do centralized things to instead build validiums right. So expanding out on this one a bit, um, you know you remember the yeah 2014 to like 2019 era where everyone was excited about permission consortium chains, right? Like you remember this. I was, that was a little bit before my time, but yeah, I remember okay. the, I remember the uh, Hyperledger, the IBM Hyperledger. Right, right. That's, it, it, this exactly. Right. And about. there are like a lot of these yeah. and uh, I think these have mostly failed. And my own view of like why there was interest and then why there was failure is that people kind of intuitively felt that there was a bunch of applications where you want some kind of compromise between the centralized approach and the decentralized approach. And, uh, you know, it's like you want the decentralized approach because that enables trustworthy collaboration between a whole bunch of different market participants. And like the ideal of uh, instead of every company having its own spreadsheet, you have one spreadsheet that everyone can edit, but where everyone has to follow rules. Um, and the yeah, other side of the compromise, which is like doing everything on chain actually like totally breaks privacy and it totally yeah, is unscalable and it requires people to completely rewrite their software, right? But then I think what people wanted out of consortium chains is like the 50-50 compromise that gets the best of both worlds. But I think what it, what we ended up getting is the 50-50 compromise that gets the worst of both worlds, right? And the reason why is uh, basically that like first, you know, you're still building a blockchain, and so you still have most of the IT overhead of building a blockchain. Then you have uh, these, uh, a lot of community building uh, overhead, but then because of the centralization, that actually becomes harder again, right? Like one pattern that I saw happen over and over again is 
someone creates a consortium and the first five members happily join the consortium and start working together. But then members number six to 20 just never end up getting inter interested because they don't want to join an ecosystem that feels like it's already dominated by the first five members, right? So there's just a lot of structural reasons why that approach should not work. But the approach that I think can work is Validiums, right? Validiums are basically, yeah, they're like rollups without the data on chain. Or another way of putting it is they're centralized systems, but where the hash of the database gets put on chain. And every time the database gets updated, a new hash gets put on chain with a snark proving that the update was valid, right? And so what you can do is you can take an existing centralized system and then you can just like add an extra daemon that reads the database, that hashes it, and that understands the execution logic that makes snarks and then just uploads those snarks on chain, right? And so you can prove that the database was only ever updated in valid ways. And this is just a thing that can keep on running on, uh, you know, like running. And then once uh, those hashes and the proofs are on chain, individual users can like talk to the daemon, they can get Merkle proofs of what their current balance is. And so, um, you know, you can do all of, all of those things and, uh, you know, to get basically, yeah, you, this is again, a compromise between centralization and decentralization, right? It, where you're gaining the decentralization benefits because you have proofs and, uh, the hashes are being put on chain. And so you, re you're really sure that you can't, you're not passing two different sets of proofs to different people. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, you, um, are still gaining the, yeah, efficiencies of keeping things centralized because you don't have to like pay any gas per transaction and you don't have to tell your IT people to completely rebuild the system because it's like, well, you can keep your software. You just run an extra daemon beside it, right? And so this, I think, actually is the 50-50 compromise that actually gives you the benefits of both instead of giving you the disadvantages of both. And it's, uh, and actually, yeah, there is a weak version of this that people are starting to already use, which is proof of solvency, right? Like proof of solvency is the first, uh, I think semi-successful enterprise blockchain use case, right? Because that's what it literally is. In exchange is an enterprise. And, uh, with proof of solvency, you're basically actually, yeah, you know, publishing data and you can publish that data on chain in order to prove certain, certain things about your database, which is basically that, uh, you know, the yeah, amount of uh, user balances that you have actually doesn't like exceed the yeah, amount of, um, amount of money in your wallet. Right. So that I think is, uh, like a, a place to start, but like this is something that can apply in gaming. It can apply for, Potentially even, um, you know, like social media algorithmic, uh, type of use cases. It can apply for supply chain management. It can apply, yeah, in a lot of different areas. I mean, supply chain management is interesting because if you have those records, then there's like financial stuff, like things like short term loans that can directly piggyback into those records. And um, so there's a lot of interesting stuff that you can do, right? But like, actually building the software stack that makes it possible to do that is something that's only possible now because zero, like this all completely depends on zero knowledge proofs, right? And zero knowledge proofs are like finally at the level now where regular developers can go and build things on top of them without having to like deeply understand what a ZK is, uh, you know, what a polynomial is, right? Uh, so I think that's something that would be yeah, really valuable to start building now as well. Um, so yeah, yeah. There, I think in general, there's just like 
a lot of these, uh, you know, like little areas that keep popping up. And I think little areas are going to just keep popping up every six months. So there's uh, a lot of places to participate. Well, I don't think anyone listening to this has any doubt that there's plenty of left to build and do in this crypto world. And that was a, just a fantastic splattering of many different possibilities from many different industries. Vitalik, as, as we come to a close on this conversation, uh, I want to just turn ourselves to the, to the here and now. I think in the last maybe few months or so, people in the crypto world have reoriented their perspective to from cleaning up the mess that was 2022, because I think that is decently done at least in process we can trust that the good things are going to happen in that way and now now we are focused towards what happens next and i mean everyone is you know cautiously crossing their fingers like bull market bull market bull market but what do we have what, what do you have in in as things that you want the crypto world to not do or mm -hmm. maybe to focus on so we can successfully navigate the next bull market that if you know all these cycles do play out. If we get another one, then here we go. Uh, what what should we try and get done as as a community, as a culture, to make sure that we don't mess it up again? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think to me the big thing is um, like navigating this tightrope of like actually increasing security and actually increasing decentralization at the same time, right? Like basically, yeah, building an ecosystem where it actually is possible for people to like put in their money and to collect, um, you know, even 2% a year um, APRs, but still feel comfortable that they're not like risking and uh, even one over 50 chance of uh, losing all of their money uh, d during that year. Um, and like, that's, uh, I think possible to get to, but it requires a, yeah, a very different mindset from the mindset that's like, you know, going all out and crazy and trying to like maximize returns for people at all costs. Um, so increasing security of, uh, of DeFi protocols and of wallets and of chains and of ecosystems and all of that is one side of it. And then the other side of it is like doing that in ways that don't basically surrender to like, oh, you know, if you actually want to be secure, you pretty much have to put your funds in Coinbase or like make them or like make all of your activity. Yeah. Or your anti-civil protect, uh, be backed by a Google account. Right. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, uh, finding the a good uh, path that uh, achieves both of uh, those objectives, I think is uh, really uh, the challenging goal here. And I think if we can uh, achieve that, then we'll be in a really good place. Well, Vitalik, thank you for sparking mine and hopefully everyone else's imaginations about what what's left to do in this world because it's, it's uh, quite a lot, which means that we're going to have a ton of fun doing it along the way. So appreciate you coming in to, all the way from Asia to beam into Permissionless. Yeah, thank you so much, David. It was fun.